Today we are continuing this uh, series that Pastor Scott started last Saturday on Psalm 23. And I wanted to focus on verse 4 about fear. It's the one that uh, Miss Sandra uh, was reading while we were uh, just here a few moments ago listening to the kids' message. It's one that I want to just kind of sit on and, and talk with you for a moment. But before I do that, did you know that we have a very special person in the congregation uh, who had uh, something sort of received by God that he wanted to write down and uh, took it to, to Pastor Scott and myself. And we were like, you should get up on this stage on Sunday morning and read it for people to be able to see uh, what God has given you for this church. So uh, Carl, I'd like to invite you up. Uh, if you would, he's going to read, uh, yeah, he's going to read uh, his paraphrase, if you will, of uh, Psalm 23. Take it away, Carl. Thank you. Good morning. So after 60 years of knowing the 23rd Psalm, this is my paraphrase. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want because you are the supplier of my needs. As I read your word often and digest it and hold, it leads me in life-changing instructions applicable in all aspects of my life, everyday living, relationships, work, play, and eternal standing with you. Knowing you personally gives me an overwhelming peace of mind, as if I'm continually being refreshed in green pastures and fresh spring waters. My soul is restored, my mind is renewed and my body is refreshed. I praise you for the day's activities and as I give you all my worries and concerns, I sleep well rested. Your spirit leads me in all the right ways to go as I pass through on, press on through my, my day, giving praise and glory to your name. Even though I walk through some valleys of deepest despair, hard situations, frightening experiences, valleys of depressions, visions of death. I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. I have accepted your gift of eternal life, which overshadows any fears of the valleys of death. I fear no evil, for your love conquers fear. Your rod is a ruler to measure my steps. Your precepts, commandments, and laws, and your everlasting covenant direct my path. Your staff pulls me from the brink of destruction and prods and taps me in the way that I go. You anoint my head with oil, giving me wisdom and understanding of right thinking, what to say and whom or when I need to say it. You present opportunities to share my testimony and give witness of my faith in you and your wondrous ways. My cup overflows with your words of hope and encouragement. Your love spills out of me like a flowing river. Surely, your goodness and favor, your unfailing mercy and love shall follow me all the days of my life and nights of my life, and I shall dwell in your presence and your heavenly kingdom forever and ever. Praise to you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Have you guys, and maybe not, because we're all very saved in this room, um, have you guys ever been afraid of something? Just ever? Uh, what about uh, maybe two years ago? 
when everything was shutting down and the stock market was doing this, that a little bit of mm, tension, maybe a little bit of high blood pressure. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about uh, fear today uh, is because one of the most formative memories of my entire life happened 21 years ago next Sunday, 9-11. And uh, for, for your info, right, millennials right now, if you look at the generation, millennials are anywhere from like 29, 28, maybe the youngest, all the way up to about 45. And, and the cutoff to go from millennials to Gen Z, which are the youngest, well, there's a good chance the youngest are going to be a new generation as well, but, but the people who are in maybe middle school through college, Gen Z, uh, the reason that they cut off right there is because they don't remember 9-11. And 9-11 was such a massive shift in our culture, a massive shift in the way that we think, in the way that our government even operates, in, in the, the way that we are raised. I don't know a world free from terrorism or free from the idea that that terrorism isn't just in a far-off land but can come right here to home. And that's something that we all had to wrestle with 21 years ago. This, this reality that, man, danger can come knocking like that not just on a personal level, but on a national level. Until that point, aside from uh, a few skirmishes, every major war was fought somewhere else. Even every major loss of American life was somewhere else. It was easy to kind of distance ourselves from that, from the idea of terrorism, from the idea of insurrection, until 9-11. It's a massive shift in how we operate, and how we think, and the fact that we have to take our shoes off before we get on an airplane. Got real quiet. <laughs> it's heavy. It is heavy. It, uh, I remember where I was in school. I remember my parents who worked at a stock brokerage firm pulling me out of school and them taking the billboard off the top of their building declaring who they were because they were afraid they were going to be next. I just remember the, the nation gripped with fear. And that is exactly what fear does. It grabs a hold of us and it doesn't want to let us go. So the, uh, <clears throat> the top of your, your notes, I put down some of the, the most common fears, right? Dogs, heights, death, needles, the unknown, fear of failure. I want to commend Carl because the number one fear in the United States, public speaking. And so in my speech and debate uh, team in high school, on the back of our shirts, it said uh, the number one fear in the U.S. is public speaking. This surpasses the average person's fear of death. So at a funeral, more people would rather be in the casket than the one giving the eulogy. <laughs> it was a really wordy thing to put on a shirt, but it worked great, I tell you. <laughs> so thank you, Carl, for, for your obedience to, to God and to, to hearing something from him and overcoming any of that apprehension. Because it's true, when you get up here and you look at a crowd, honestly, the bigger the crowd gets, the easier this gets. Because there's a distance, there's a, a separation. I'm no longer looking at Kathy, you know. I'm no longer looking at Ron or, or Bruce. But I'm just seeing a sea of faces, you know. So this is a very intimate setting where I know, like, 
all of you, for the most part. And so it's, it's not easy. There's a, a genuine fear for a lot of people to do that. And when I put these notes together, <laughs> David Taylor, I love, I love him and Michelle, they're, they're wonderful. He sends me a text and he's like, John, I think there's a typo in your notes. And me, being someone who just like, looks at it 37 times, is like, what? What did I miss? And he's like, you didn't put clowns in the common fears. <laughs> and I was like, I know, because someone in the church used to be a clown, and I learned that the hard way. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not afraid of clowns, okay? I'm just really mindful of their movements when they're around me. So, Psalm 23, verse 4, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, just like Pastor Sandra a few minutes ago, I, didn't, I don't read the King James. I didn't grow up with the King James, but for whatever reason, that's the version that's in my head. So, like, I have to read it, because otherwise it's, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for, for you art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. And so, uh, been there. <laughs> so, I, I think the, the context of the, the sermon, the, the header that I gave you ahead of your notes, is why we should overcome fear. Why do we need to get through fear? Why do we need to, to let, it, let its, its grip on us loosen? And I think there's a lot of stuff that you guys already kind of know about that, right? We've, we've all done some living in this room. We've all experienced fear, and we know how it hurts us, the things that it can, it can do to us, the, the, the ways that it can paralyze us. And so that's why I don't want to spend too much time on the first point, because the second point is the one that I really, really, really want to dig into. But the first point is important. It, it builds uh, logically. That's why I put them in the order I did. It wasn't a flippant decision. But Matthew 8, verses 23 through 26 and when he got into the boat, meaning Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. His disciples felt what? Other than fear, that's the gimme, they felt powerless. They, they were on a boat that was supposed to be on the water. The water got in the boat, which if you've ever been on a boat is a problem. And so they were worried. They were worried about the waves. They were worried about the storms. They were so gripped with fear that they didn't recognize the power that, that Jesus had displayed Miracle after miracle after miracle was also for them. And so they didn't call out to the storm. You see, this is actually, this, this story is so important because it's where we start to talk about, like, what's the, the, the early 2000s Christian catchphrase? Don't, don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell your storm how big your God is, right? And where do we get that? We get that from, from this story. Until this point, they didn't have a concept that they could speak something out and change reality. And so they were, they were, they were drained by their fear, and that's, that's the first point, that, that what little power they might have thought they had, they were faced with the possibility of certain death, and they cowered. 
And Jesus does correct them slightly, but what I really like is it says he rebuked the storm, not the disciples. Sometimes I think we think that Jesus was kind of harsh on them. But he was honest, sure. But John 1 tells us he was full of grace and truth. And so when he interacts with people, it's, it's from that position where he's going to speak truth to you, but there's going to be grace. What is grace? It's his unmerited favor, his unmitigated kindness, his undeserved love for us. So every time Jesus interacts with us, that's what he's doing. He's speaking truth, but he's full of grace. And so uh, was he uh, harsh with the disciples in that moment by saying men of little faith? I don't think so. I don't think he was mocking them because I'm pretty sure God doesn't mock people. That doesn't really sound like good Christian behavior. Surely no one in here would ever stoop to mocking someone, especially if they're on like maybe a, a different side of the political spectrum. We would definitely treat them with respect, I'm sure. Carl, can you hand me my coffee? I'm sorry. I was trying to get through the sermon. My mouth is so dry. Because I didn't have coffee before I came here. So everyone pray for me because I need to get my priorities straight. <sighs> I'm ridiculous. Yeah, that's never going to change. Uh, all right. So <laughs> uh, the second point that I, is the one that I, I really want to sit on. One I really want to talk about. And... Uh, Honestly, you can just fill out three and four. I can almost guarantee you we're not going to get to them. Uh, so 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him. Another word for anxiety is fear, worry. Because he cares for you. Be of sober mind, uh, spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking that whom he may devour. I want to pose a, a thought to you. If the lion is seeking those whom he may devour, what do you think is being communicated there aside from what's being said? What's the other side of that equation is what I'm saying. If he is seeking those whom he may devour, the implication is then, there are those whom he may not devour. He can't just devour willy-nilly. He's, he's got to look for people, right? In the, in the same way that the Old Testament prophets tell us that the, the eye of the Lord is searching to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully tuned into him so that he can strengthen them, so that he can give his spirit to them. In the same way, the eyes of Satan are looking to and fro across the earth as a roaring lion, looking for those whose eyes are not straight on God, those whom he may devour. Let me give you a, a practical example from, the, from the, the story we were reading in point number one, when they were on the water and there was a storm and all that. Jesus gets out, and they, they spot him in the distance, and he's standing on the water. When we tell this story, what, are, what do we end up talking about? Oh, Peter, what, what are you getting yourself into now? You know, you chopped a guy's ear off, you denied Christ, now you're going to try and walk on water, and look at the dude, the idiot fell in the water, like, come on. Peter gets a real bad rap, okay? None of the other disciples stepped off that boat. 
Peter walked on water. How is our takeaway from that story that he fell in the water afterwards and not, holy crap, he actually took a couple steps on the water? Like, for real, like that, that to me is, is the, the biggest takeaway. He, he was focused on Christ and the enemy couldn't do anything about it. Physics itself broke down when he focused on Christ. The reason that I like Psalm 23, it's, it's one of my favorites, is because so often, especially when we talk about the valley of the shadow of death, we think that they are talking about literal death. This verse, more than almost any other, gets read at funerals all the time. I don't read it at funerals. As far as I know, actually, Pastor John Bryant doesn't uh, read it at funerals either because neither of us believe that it's talking about death. Because, because in Timothy... Jesus is quoted, and, and, and Paul tells us that there are those who, while they are alive, are dead. The death that they're talking about in, in Psalm 23, verse 4, is not the, uh, not the physical death. He's not, he's not talking about our death here on earth. He's talking about uh, a place of spiritual darkness, a, a place of eternal death, a, a, a place of, of true misery and, and separation from the light, which is why you need God when you're walking through it because it's so oppressively dark. But here's the thing. If the valley of the shadow of death is here on earth today, if it's a trial that we face today, then again, the opposite is true. The promises of God are for today. The life-giving power of God is for today. His grace, his hope, his mercy, his indwelling spirit is for today. Not for when we die. It's not for some far-off distant future. It allows us to experience the fullness of Christ right now, today. So uh, un unlike uh, some folks who, who might say that this is a uh, uh, verse about, about death, it's great for funerals, it, uh, to me it's just, it's, it's not what it is. And so I told you I was going to sit on point number two, and I, and I am. Why? Why does God refer to the enemy, Satan, as a lion? You know, what's really interesting is Satan's really good at copying God, like poorly, you know, but that's all he can do is kind of imitate the things that, that God does, just not really good. If you've ever, um, <laughs> you know, uh, if anyone ever works with their hands for a living, you know, maybe you're a carpenter or, uh, you know, you, you've got like um, a hobby, like, like doing like pottery and clay, the first time you start working with it, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of awful. You're not very good at it. Satan never got past that point. He's bad at all of it, but it doesn't stop him from trying. And so why, why in this case? Because Satan is not calling himself a lion. He is not imitating the lion and the lamb, right? God is calling him a lion. Why? Because uh, it's not just a lion. It's a roaring lion, the imagery there. Do you know what happens when a lion roars? Anyone? It freezes the animal. The roar of a lion is paralyzing. It, it makes it so that the gazelle, which can run faster than the lion, right, or, or uh, other creatures that might be more, a little bit more agile, might be able to start swinging in the trees and stuff, getting away. Uh, creatures that have the ability to escape the lion, when the roar comes, they're paralyzed. 
with fear. It grips them. Terror grips them. And then the lion gets dinner, seeking those whom he may devour. The animal that lives is the animal that doesn't freeze. The animal that escapes the clutches of the lion is the one that that runs. Here's, Here's what I don't like. We are reminded in Psalm 23 that Jesus is a shepherd, that God is the good shepherd. Unfortunately, again, the implication then is that we are, one, not shepherds, and two, cattle, and three, not even like the good cattle. We're kind of the worst. I don't know if you've ever seen sheep. Super dumb. They... They will literally, like, follow themselves in a circle until they, like, starve. Like, they're just not smart. All right, that that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but trust me, not much. If you've ever worked with sheep, they are the dumbest animals. Like, you, I, I have seen a sheep caught in a fence get freed, and then as it's freaking out, it gets caught in the fence two seconds later. And I'm just like, how? But they're dumb. They're so dumb. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm saying that that God's calling you dumb. (laughs) No, but I don't want to be a sheep, right? Why can't I be a lion? Let me fight back. Give me some teeth. Give me some claws. I don't want to be a sheep. At least, like I mentioned a gazelle earlier, make me a gazelle. Let me run. Trust me, I need to. But come on, let me like... Let me just, like, get away, you know? Let me do something. Don't, don't make me a sheep. How, what chance do you think a sheep has against a lion? None. In the history of the world, no sheep has ever bested a lion. Ever. As a matter of fact, most people that, that like, physical, real human beings have not bested a lion. Except for Samson. That's a whole other story. <laughs> In in Judges, it says that Samson tore apart the lion with his bare hands, by the way, as one tears apart a small goat. (laughs) The author of Judges, what experiences does he think that I have that I've just torn apart a goat with my bare hands? That this would be so commonplace that it would be like, yeah, it was like you tear apart a goat. And all the people are like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I've never torn apart any animals with my bare hands. I just want to be honest with all of you. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to be a sheep, right? Because sheep, I mean, they eat, like, hay or grass or something. I don't know. Like, that's how little I care about sheep. I don't know what they eat. I wouldn't be able to take care of one, you know? <laughs> I, I just, I don't want to be a sheep. Like, give me something to work with, God. Give me something to fight with. Give me something that's going to let me run away just in some way. Don't make me a sheep. And yet God knew that as sheep, we were going to be in the company of wolves that were going to come after us. We were going to be in the company of the great lion who wants to to devour us. And he chose in all of that to do what? To make us vulnerable. Now, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Why would God, uh, knowing that we're going into a dangerous situation, make us vulnerable to that situation? Make us susceptible 
to that situation, to make us susceptible to fear and to terror, but then tells us what? I did not give you a spirit of fear, but of peace, of a sound mind. So not only did he put us in the presence of danger and then make us completely vulnerable to that danger, he then told us, and don't be afraid. What, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? And so I want to encourage you, if, if there's ever a point where something in Scripture doesn't make sense, then that's always a me problem. It is never God's word that's the problem. It's never God that's the problem. I don't know about you guys, but when I read the word of God, I believe what I read. I trust it because it is the word of God. And so when I read that, that he's made us vulnerable and it doesn't make sense to me, then I have to ask God, okay, what am I not getting? What am I not understanding? On 9-11, when the terrorists crashed their planes into the, the, the two towers, when one of them uh, crashed it into the Pentagon, the other one crash-landed in Pennsylvania. When all of that happened, what were they trying to do? What was their goal? Pro tip, it's in the name, terrorist. They don't want money. They don't want power. They don't really even care about fame necessarily, although it helps. They want fear. They want terror. That's what they're after. That's what the enemy is after. Because if he can make us fearful... Then what? Then we're paralyzed. Then we're frozen. Then he can devour us. Remember, uh, he is seeking those whom he may devour. So if that is the case, then there are some whom he may not. So I'm going to uh, uh, step away from the table for a second. There's a clip we're going to play in just a moment uh, from a movie. Um, I'm a super nerd. And if you aren't, I apologize. It's only 60 seconds long. You'll get through it. Uh, it's from, uh, if you're familiar with uh, the DC universe of superheroes, Zack Snyder released a, a cut of the Justice League uh, during COVID. It was like four and a half hours long. It was really good. <laughs> all that to say, though, there's this clip that I want to show you. And all you need to understand, if, how many of you by show of hands are familiar with Wonder Woman? As a, as a, okay, you've heard of the character before. All right, so she is an Amazonian. She is uh, uh, from Themyscira. And in this clip, you're going to see not her, but a bunch of her um, people uh, fighting off an alien that has come to destroy Earth. All right? And that's like the plot to every superhero movie, but, but it's okay. That's, th that's all the context you need. You're going to see a really ugly bad guy and a bunch of women who are ready to kick his behind. Uh, all right, roll the clip. to enlighten you to the great darkness 
I will bathe in your fear. Daughters of Themyscira! Show him your fear! We Kills every single time. Every time. Even without watching the whole movie, just that moment. Daughters of Themyscira, show him your fear. We have no fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Why? Because he knew that fear would paralyze us. He knew that fear would give the enemy an advantage. He replaced the spirit of fear with the spirit of God himself. Jesus lives inside of you, and so does the Holy Spirit. You got two-thirds of the Trinity, folks. And, and let's be real. God is omnipresent. He can be wherever he wants. I'm sure he's visited you a few times. So you have the fullness of God inside of you. He did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you his spirit. He gave you himself. Because that is how you overcome fear. That is how you overcome the enemy. That is how the lion can roar and you can choose, nope, I'm not dinner today because I'm not scared of you. I'm not going to be paralyzed. And, and here's the thing. Yeah, people were scared after 9-11. There was a lot of terror. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of paralysis in this country. But I don't know if you remember walking through a suburban neighborhood and every freaking lawn had a flag and it brought us together. It did the last thing they wanted to do to us. They weren't students of history because that's not the first time. Pearl Harbor didn't really go very well for the Axis powers. Okay, when we were attacked, we came together. Christians, if America can do it, so can we. When the enemy comes against the church, how much more unified should we be? How much more interconnected should we be? Uh, we are one body. The enemy cannot dismember us, but we can do it to ourselves. I, I've said this ever since I was in high school. I've since heard other people say it. I thought of it first, I think, probably not. Uh, it's one of those ideas, probably a lot of people had the same thought. But, but I, I recognized, right, if we are, when I was a kid, a really uh, popular song in Sunday school was like, uh, uh, I don't even remember how it goes, something about being in the Lord's army. Um, yeah, if you guys know that, great. You know what I'm talking about. I literally have nothing else about that song I can share. That's all that's in my head right now. But in, <laughs> in that song, thinking about the idea of being in the Lord's army, I recognize something. Man, you know what we're really, really, really good at doing? Shooting our own wounded. Yeah, we do that. We do it a lot. I don't know if you've noticed in the last couple of years, I don't think it's because of COVID, but uh, it just happens. Maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe there's some sort of correlation. I don't know. But in the last two and a half years, I have seen more high-profile moral failings from people and leaders in the church than in the previous 20 years combined. Name after name after name, and what happens? Something comes out, and we find out someone at this major church, and I'm not going to name any of them because... That's not what we're here to do, to talk about. But what happens is they get disgraced, and then everyone goes, well, they've been in ministry for 30 years. They wrote 15 books. They have a wildly successful podcast. I guess I'll just throw all this stuff away because none of it must have been real, or they would have never failed. 
I got a couple things that I want to, like, I got a bone to pick with that idea. Two bones, really. The first bone is um, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? But the, the, the second bone is that presumptuousness says that their failing is worse than mine. When Parents, when you make a mistake, do you go to your children and say, hey, all the good stuff I've taught you, throw it away because I'm not perfect? No. And so what do we do? Like someone makes this, this grievous mistake and, and should they maybe take a sabbatical or step out of leadership? Absolutely. But we're not supposed to be kicking them out of the church excommunicado, like what? Like we're not, like don't, don't contact this person. Don't talk to them. You know, they, they, they've, they've soiled the ground. No. Where, where would you see in scripture Jesus ever do that? You know, he never attacked the Pharisees. You know, he never drove the Pharisees out of Jerusalem. What did he do? He talked to them. And sometimes I think he yelled at them. I think every time it says, woe to you Pharisees, exclamation point, there is some sort of poignancy to what Jesus was saying there. But when he went to the temple and kicked out the money changers, what did he do? He flipped tables, not people. He never laid hands on a single person. And the one time someone in his company did, Peter, poor Peter, Jesus immediately heals the guy and puts the ear back on. My question is, was it the same ear? Did he pick it up and wipe the dirt off? Or did he regrow the ear and now that guy technically has three? <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get to heaven because I want to ask that question. <laughs> Knowing God, <laughs> we're made in his image, right? So that includes emotion and laughter and, and humor and all that. Knowing God, he's never going to tell me. Right, And so I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to be like, did, did two or three years, I just got to know. And he's going to be like, honestly, John, it's really funny like, for you to not know. So we're going to keep that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, okay, all right, let me get back to my notes, because otherwise we're never going to get out of here. But uh, I mean, we're in the house of God, why are you in a rush? <laughs> I'm sorry, I woke up and chose violence, apparently. Um, so I don't like the idea of being a sheep. But it's what God chose. I don't like the idea of being vulnerable. But it's what God chose. I don't like the idea <laughs> of seeing a roaring lion and being powerless to fight back. But do you know why, ultimately, why we're vulnerable? Why he chose that for us? Why he calls us sheep? Why in the valley of the shadow of death it doesn't say, I will give you the power to kill your enemies? Because he steps in every time. Just like Sandra said, that rod is to beat off the wolves. You don't give it to the sheep. They don't have opposable thumbs. They can't wield it. God has to do that work. But me, I want to feel safe. Give me a gun, Lord. Ooh, that was a little, a little too far, maybe. Give me a knife. You know, I'm going to go get a black belt, and I'm going to, I'm going to, mm, I want to feel safe in my own ability to defend myself. Is that what we want? Is it? Is that what a sheep is supposed to be? 
Is a sheep supposed to kill off the wolves? Again, I've never seen it happen. Is, is the sheep supposed to stand up and say, I might be a sheep, but, but today I, I, I'm strong. I don't need the shepherd. I want to feel secure. And I can only feel secure if I'm the one doing the defense. As someone who does not like other people driving the car that they're in, I get it. I hate it when other people are driving. That's the reason I don't like flying. It has nothing to do with being up in the air. I love being up in the air, but man, I got to trust the pilot. But pilots are like typically really good at what they do. Um, so it's fine. But that desire to be in control is pervasive. It creeps into every area of our life. When we manage people, we start micromanaging them. When our, our spouse doesn't tell us every single detail of their day, we start to get a little curious why they left something out. When we're in church and the pastor says something we don't like, we start to think, ah, what's he doing up there? I know better than him. We want control because control lets us have the illusion that we're no longer vulnerable. The reality is you can do whatever you want to a sheep, still a sheep. And the enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Friends, don't let yourself be the lion's dinner. All right, point three and four. We're, I'm just going to, I'm going to read them and, and share a brief word, and I'm going to get you out of here. Point number three, uh, Genesis 15, verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And so, so what happens there? Fear does what? It exposes us. It makes us vulnerable. He didn't want Abram to be afraid so that he could protect Abram. He, he wanted to uh, be that shield that blocked him, but he had to be vulnerable and not fearful. He had to trust. He had to rely on it because there's, you know, we, uh, we, we talk about the, 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 the flight or fight response, right? But the, it's actually, there's a third one. It's called freeze, which is what we've been talking about, this idea that it paralyzes you. But, but now we're talking about the, the, the flight response. When you're dealing with the enemy, if I'm here and God's there and the enemy's on the other side of those doors about to break into the sanctuary and God is between me and the enemy, and I get scared, and I run away, what am I running away from, ultimately? I'm running away from the safety of God in my fear. I'm choosing not to trust him. I'm choosing not to rely on him. I, I'm saying that, yeah, okay, Lord, I know that you have a rod. I know that you can really beat up that lion really good, but I'm kind of scared that he's going to run around you, so I'm going to take off, and I'm just not going to look. Hasn't, hasn't really turn out too well for us. We have to trust God. We have to. Last point, point number four. If I can pick up my paper. Got it. Psalm 112, verses six through eight. For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is upheld. He will not fear until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. Until he looks with satisfaction on his adversaries. You can see the 
fill in the blank up there. Bruce, would you come up to the keyboard? Thank you. When, when we look at the roaring lion, we have a choice. Are we going to succumb to the paralyzing roar? Are we going to allow ourselves to be so fearful and so caught up in it that we're just kind of stuck there like a deer in the headlights? Are we going to, are we going to see it and instinctively start fighting back and try and take over God's role for us? I'm going to tell you something. You do not want to go toe-to-toe with the devil on your own. It's God's job. It's not ours. So often, we focus on the lion. I want to make it real practical for you guys. If you want to beat the spirit of fear, because the spirit, the spirit of fear, you know what you got to do? You got to get on your knees and you got to pray. And when you pray, if you start with, now devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I mean, that's great. But when I pray, I talk to God personally. I don't give him any attention. I don't need to, I don't need to spend 30 minutes just saying this angry prayer, rebuking the devil and trying to cast him out and all that. You know what I say? Lord, you are my shepherd. You make me lie down in green pastures. You guide me beside still waters. I am walking into the valley of death. Be with me. Lead me with your staff. Protect me with your rod. Our focus is never supposed to be on the enemy. Our focus isn't on the storm. Our focus isn't on circumstances. Our focus is on God. Because he is the answer to all of those things. He takes care of all of those things. When we are wrapped in fear, he comes to us. And he puts his arms around us. And he holds on to us. I'm going to ask my wife if I can share a story about her and fear. She gave me a thumbs up. Okay. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I do this thing where if I listen to a song and something about it just kind of really hits me in the spirit, I'll listen to it a lot, like ad nauseum to just a ridiculous level. Like I'll, I'll like listen to it four or five times in a row while I'm on the car, in the car. If I'm on the car, that's a bad day. <laughs> But if I'm in the car, it's okay. So if I'm in the car going to the store and it's like a 20-minute drive, I might listen to that song on repeat the entire time. And I might do that for like three weeks straight. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I get that. And it, and it drove my wife crazy several times in our marriage. But <laughs> there was one song in uh, 2015 that... It was August of 2015, and I heard this song. It's called No Longer Slaves. I'm sure most of you have heard this. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I heard that, and something about that song just, man, it got me. And I've never really been one to wrestle with a lot of fear and anxiety in my life. But, man, that song just really started doing a work in me, and I listened to it day after day after day for an entire week. It was the only song I put on because I recognized I didn't know what it was, but there was something about that song that God wanted to get into my spirit about a reality of who I am. 
I am a sheep, I am vulnerable, but I am his sheep, and I am not responsible for defending myself. He takes care of that. And so this entire time, I thought this was a work that he was doing in me, that this was something he needed me to learn, and, and I did get something out of it. But at the end of that week, we come to church on a Sunday. Service is, is fine. Worship is fine. The message is good. I don't remember any of what that was. Don't remember the message, what we sang, who gave the offering. But at the end of the service, they always played a song, and there was altered ministry time as people were filing out. The song they played at the end of the service, can you guess what it was? I have a friend in Jesus. No. Um, <laughs> it was no longer slaves. And I was like, yeah, I love it. I've been listening to this song all week. I was just worshiping. And I hear something that sounds odd to my left. And I open my eye. I do that little, like, side peek, you know, like people do when everyone says, well, all your like, head's bowed and eyes closed. I, I did, like, the pastoral peek. And I look over, and my wife is sobbing. I don't like that. <laughs> I imagine most spouses don't like it when their other spouse is, is overcome with something. And, and I was like, are you okay? Like, I was trying to, like, not draw attention to what was happening because I wanted to make sure she was okay. And she was like, oh, it's good. I'll tell you later. I was like, Okay. <laughs> So I just let her cry and continued to worship until the song was over. And then afterwards, um, some friends we had recently made, we were still new in Orlando, uh, had come over and, and she was sharing with us that one of the songs started. Love you, Hannah. When the song started, she, uh, she, she felt like God said to her, get ready, because I'm about to do something. And then in the middle of the song, she was worshiping and everything was normal. And then suddenly she had this vision of like the water being drawn out to sea and a tsunami coming in. But the tsunami wasn't bringing fear. As soon as the water hit, she felt this like, 10,000 pound weight lifted off of her. And suddenly she didn't have any fear. And the reason that's a powerful story for me is because she was afraid of everything. Phobias of just ridiculous stuff, nervousness, anxiety, she was terrified as a lifestyle. And in an instant, after, after decades of praying, after all the intercession you can imagine, after, after coming up to the altar and hands being laid on her, God saved her healing for a specific moment. And it was that day in that church service during that song that I had been annoying her with for a week. That was, what, seven years ago last month. And she's never gone back. She is confident and strong and fearless. I mean, you guys have heard her up here singing, right? She is, is anointed and gifted by God. And it's so wonderful to get to see that and to think that I got to be there. I, I played no part. 
I don't think that me listening to that song for a week is the reason she was healed. She was healed because God wanted to heal her. And I was so grateful to get a witness that. Can I tell you right now, if you're struggling with fear, if you're overcome with anxiety or worry, God wants to touch you. And he wants to heal you. And maybe you've been prayed for a hundred times. Maybe you've come up to the altar a dozen times. Maybe you've sat on your bedroom floor sobbing and asking God, why not? Why haven't you taken this from me? Never stop asking. He has a perfect time. And maybe for you that time is right now. And so I want to invite anyone who wants to, to, to stand up and to, to come forward. And um, uh, Chuck, uh, would, you, would you come up and help me? I want to uh, pray for some folks. Jim, Carl, actually with the three of you. If you got to go, you got to go. I understand. I would just ask that you, you quietly shuffle out because I want this to be a sacred moment for some people. Because I believe that God wants to release fear and tension and anxiety from you. And so if, if you feel like that's you, if you feel like you have this thing that's been gripping you and God is, has been saying to you, I'm about to do something, and I want you to come up so that we can pray for you. And I know if you're battling fear and anxiety, it can be a little stressful to even like stand up and acknowledge that because now you feel like everyone's looking at you. I can tell you right now, the only one that matters that's looking at you is God. And when he looks at you, he doesn't say, Ugh, why are you still afraid? He says, I love you. I love you so much. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I'm here. And so, uh, yeah, Bruce, if you would just keep playing and if you feel like that's you, if you need prayer, I want you to come forward and we're going we're gonna to lay hands on you. I'm going to take the mic off and we're just going to go, okay? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you.